Hello and welcome back to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold on the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity. You know, atheists claim they do not believe in God, but I think that the important question to ask someone who considers themselves an atheist or an agnostic or a theist for that matter, is to please describe the God you say you don't believe in or the God you're not sure about or even the God you do believe in. How is it that we think about God? Because how we think about God has so much to do about how we think about ourselves and our life. And our understanding of God should be able to resonate in our lives and our experiences of ourself. And so this week on Oral Valley Catholic, we're going to talk about the Most Holy Trinity and how it is that we ought to look at God. And so let's set the parameters of the podcast. Let's talk first about three orientations, three ways of thinking about God that you've experienced or certainly your family and friends and acquaintance have experienced. Atheism, agnosticism, and theism. So what is atheism? Atheism is the affirmative belief that something does not exist. I've always thought it was kind of a a hard position to take to understand and know that nothing exists because you're claiming to know something about the very nature of reality. You're making a truth claim. And that truth claim is that uh, there is really no mysteries in life. There's nothing that would point or indicate God because we understand that everything is, mostly in Western culture, materialism. We're clouds of atoms. Everything is clouds of atoms. The universe does not need an explanation. So atheism is an affirmative belief about the nature of reality. That's why I always say, and I think it's really important, because otherwise you can't have a meaningful discussion about this topic, is when they say that they don't believe in God, that they know positively that God does not exist, that they ought to describe the God they don't think exists or they claim doesn't exist. How can you say someone doesn't exist or something doesn't exist, depending on how you look at the divine, as a person or a thing, is unless you can describe what it is that you believe that your philosophy, your approach to metaphysics, uh, whatever, or you think that science proves that God doesn't exist. So definition of terms is always very important in any meaningful discussion. Everybody's been in a conversation where people were using words that they assumed had the same meaning, uh, but, but clearly did not. That's often how people talk past each other. So there is a way to talk to atheists. You just start by asking, please describe what uh, you don't believe in. And if they say, I don't believe in the God of the Christians, then please describe what you believe the God of the Christians is. That's what this podcast is about. So the second is agnosticism. Agnosticism is, again, the understanding or the assertion that you do not understand enough about reality to make a decision between atheism and theism. It really is saying, I just lack the knowledge necessary to make that decision. So here's the way that you think about that. 
Well, what is it that you would think you need to know in order to make a decision about whether or not God exists or does not exist? Because if you don't have any criterion for the decision or a criterion for understanding, um, then it really is not even a meaningful statement. Uh, to say, I don't understand the weak bond between or the weak force in, in the universe. At least scientists have a way that they explore that understanding and they have a methodology for doing that based on uh, hypothesis, experiment, uh, recovering data, and then trying to assess and interpret the data. There is a a way, a methodology for getting down to enough information where you can come up with a reasonable uh, interpretation of what reality means. But if you can't even come up with or describe how it is that you would resolve the problem, maybe you're just dealing with the indifferent and they don't really care. Um, because people can just disconnect from life and the most important decisions in life. And that leaves the third option, theism. You know, we think when we say God that we are all talking about the same thing. And that is clearly not true. Um, even for people of the book, and we'll just simplify it by talking about Jews and Muslims and Christians, they're really not talking about the same God. Um, the Jewish people believe the revelation of God, and Christians believe this too, uh, came through Moses in uh, those events accounted uh, for in the Torah, the first five books of uh, the, both the Christian the Jew, and the Jewish uh, Old Testament. Um, the Torah just retells the whole story. I mean, the Torah is written 800 years after Jesus' death and 1,000 years plus after Moses' death. Um, and just, uh, just retells it, does what the Book of Mormon does or what Jehovah's Witnesses have done. Uh, take it a starting point, um, the stories that are in Scripture, and then just rewrite them. You know, it's really interesting. I was reading a book, and I've commented on before, uh, called Strange Rites by Tara Isabella Burton. And she talks about the phenomena of fan fiction. And she talked about it. You see it in different uh, contexts. But the one she talked about was Harry Potter and all the Harry Potter books. You know, it has a tremendous following. And uh, people offer fan fiction. They tell other stories. They make up stories about um, Harry that makes it a more personal story for them. I said I'd read in the paper that J.K. Um, Rowling's, the person who wrote Harry Potter, had uh, affirmatively stated in one of the later books that Dumbledore, one of the heroes in the Harry Potter stories, uh, was in fact a homosexual, which was, I thought, interesting, or at least implied it in her books. And that set up some parts of the fan fiction world, which is interesting, who basically fired J.K. Rowling from her own story. Uh, and took it over. Uh, it's, it's odd, our penchant for taking stories and retelling them and then offering them as if this has the same basis as this imaginative work of J.K. Rowling. Or uh, when you reimagine the Old or the New Testament and the images of Moses, Jesus, Mary, and retell the story. Um, 
and then tell it in a way that comes out or is tendentious, that is result-oriented, describes these figures in a way that is amenable to how I think about reality, um, all reality becomes this interior experience of stories that you tell to yourself. That is not scripture and it's not revelation. And so to understand the story and how Jesus talks about Moses in the Old Testament and why we believe in the most holy trinity, these are important things. But I digress, although it's an interesting digression. I think that story about fan fiction and how that applies to rewriting the Bible is an interesting comparison. But do you remember Stephen Hawking, probably one of the most famous cosmologists and physicists that's ever lived? Uh, and he once wrote um, in uh, one of his books, and I think it was The Brief History of Time, but I may be wrong on that. Uh, Hawking said, what is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? That's an interesting quote, isn't it? Because, you know, physics, science just talks about relationships and material reality. It describes them in terms of empirical terms, mathematically, weight, length, velocity, uh, force, all the different ways that science can interact with reality. Um, but that isn't really a description why in, in reality works the way that it does. You know it involves gravity and all these various forces, electromagnetism, the weak force, the strong force, chemical bonds. Um, but what makes it live? What makes Stephen Hawking's uh, live? Well, for Catholics, Christians, and um, other believers, we call that God. It's really not an answer to a question, but it's the mystery behind all of our questions. For us, we claim as a matter of faith that Jesus Christ is the human face of that mystery that we call God. And the way that we can talk about God as a trinity is because we have experienced God who became a human being and has expressed the reality of God's inner life and that mystery we call the Holy Trinity. And it's contained in the Nicene Creed, which we say every Sunday. Do you remember? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. That's actually the beginning of the Athanasian Creed or the Apostles' Creed. But this understanding of the reality of God so where does it come from? Because the Nicene Creed is something that was put together over a series of church councils in the first 1,000 years of church history. It is a hermeneutic. It is a way of understanding the scriptures. The church claims the authority to interpret the scriptures because the scriptures are the church's book. The church produced the scriptures. For people who think that the Bible explains itself, what I always like to point out is, do you believe the table of contents for the New Testament and the Old Testament is inspired and comes directly from God? If you believe it's inspired, well then, the ones that put it together are the ones who are expressing that inspiration, and that would be the early church. If you decide you can put it together on yourself, and there have been lots of Christians over time that have kicked out um, parts of the Bible, decided that they aren't worthy of consideration, 
as revelation. Marcion was the first one to do it in the second century. Thomas Jefferson did it at the time of the founding of our republic. So this is a game a lot of people have played. But the church, sitting in council, has claimed for itself the right to interpret the scriptures. And it's starting with the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. The church has propounded the authoritative way of understanding the nature of God, and we call that the Nicene Creed. Let's turn to the scriptural basis for that. And so as to the questions for atheists, agnostics, and theists, what God do you not believe in, what God do you believe in, the simple answer for every Catholic, every Orthodox Christian is just to say the Nicene Creed. This is how we understand about how we understand God. You know, the Catechism is really very good on the mystery of God. In paragraph 234 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, it says, that the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity is the central mystery of Christian faith and life. It is the mystery of God in himself. It is therefore the source of all the other mysteries of faith, the light that enlightens them. It's the way we understand. It's the most fundamental and essential teaching in the hierarchy of the truths of faith. And don't forget, not only just the Nicene Creed, but when you make the sign of the cross, when you dip your fingers into the baptismal font, and you, and you bless yourself in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're reaffirming your Trinitarian faith. One God, three divine persons. Great theology, um, crummy mathematics, because God is beyond human language, and mathematics is just another human language, and it's inadequate to express God. There are limits to the structure of our mind and our ability to understand. And there always has been. So let's go through the readings for the Sunday of the Feast of the Most Holy Trinity. And the first reading is from Exodus 34. And a cloud comes down on a mountain in Sinai. And there Moses meets God. Uh, it's called a theophany. A theophany, theos, is God. And phonos is uh, sound. And so a theophany is this fanfare that comes with God's um, God's presence. And in the literal sense, it is the God meeting with Moses, showing himself to Moses. God has uh, had a meal with the elders of Israel uh, where they beheld God. And so there are examples in the Old Testament where people see God. But what do they see in this story? Well, they see the tra traces of the Holy Trinity according to so the fathers of the church, the earliest way that the church understood the Hebrew scriptures in relationship to the scriptures of the New Testament. So they look at this story and see the traces of the Trinity. It says that the Lord stood there with Moses, and we, the early fathers said, well, that was the Son. The glory of God in a cloud descends on the mountain. Well, that's the same uh, phenomena as when the temple is blessed, or when Jesus is assumed into heaven, according to St. Luke. It's the glory of God is the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is love shared between God the Father and God the Son. And God the Father is there in the voice. You see this again in Jesus' baptism, right? Um, but instead of the cloud, it says that um, the Spirit descended on Christ like a dove. 
uh, not talking about a bird was actually there, though we always use an example of the dove or the image of the dove as a, as a stand-in for the Holy Trinity. But if you understand that Father and Spirit are really beyond human words, then becomes the purpose of the incarnation of the Son we celebrate at Christmas to reveal the nature of God. And so the Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 707 talks about theophanies as a manifestation of God that light up the way of the promise of God to human beings from the patriarchs, through Moses, through Joshua, through King David, through the prophets, until finally revealed uh, in, in the incarnation of Christ. And the Trinity is shot through the New Testament. The Father's voice at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descending like a dove, the Son in the water being baptized. And so the Catechism concludes, Christian tradition has always recognized that God's word allowed himself to be seen and heard in these theophanies, in which the cloud of the Holy Spirit both revealed him and concealed him in its shadows. So when we talk about the God we believe in, it's not like a mathematical formula. We simply talk about human experience of God, uh, from uh, patriarchs, um, Abraham walked with God, um, to Moses, uh, receiving the law, the prophets who experience God. Remember Elijah, God walks by him as he hides his face, uh, can only see God in retrospect. To say to see God's backside is to reflect on God, how he's revealed himself in our life. Um, the Second Corinthians, where Paul expresses the uh, Trinitarian faith, in chapter 13, uh, where he offers a Trinitarian blessing. It's where basically the sign of the cross comes from, and it's how we start Mass. Um, the Lord be with you, May, and we say, um, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, may the uh, resurrected Son of Jesus, the glory of God, the Holy Spirit, and the love and fellowship of the Father be with you, or in some such similar formula that comes to us out of the Old Testament. And it comes to us specifically from St. Paul in 2 Corinthians where he says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Uh, that's what we start Mass with. And then um, mostly if you listen to the readings through Easter, which, which concluded last week at Pentecost, um, a lot of the last three weeks was about John and Jesus' discourse at the Last Supper, as he talked about, unless I go, the Holy Spirit cannot come, uh, because there's this dynamic relationship of ascending and descending, of these different ways that we interact with God that are really the same God, the same way from God's perspective, because the Holy Spirit is always there, but it's how human beings interpret it. That's why scripture is, Old and New Testament, the way that it is. How can you take the mystery of God and make sense of it to human beings? The limitations of Scripture are human limitations. They're not God's imitations. But here's what uh, Jesus says in the readings for the Most Holy Trinity uh, from John 3.16. And this is one of the most famous statements out of the, old, of the uh, New Testament, out of the Gospel of John. In fact, if you remember in the old days, the guy with the rainbow-colored afro would hold up a sign, John 3.16, 
um, because it says God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, monogenesis, which means only begotten. Mono means one, genesis, genesis, just like in the book of Genesis or in generation, only begotten son um, because he so loved the world. Um, he's created son, angels and human beings. We're adopted sons, the image of God. But John says that Christ is in fact the son. And so these are just three examples of a bunch of things in the Old Testament that reflect in both Old and New Testament this understanding of God. In the Old Testament, God uh, is uh, monotheistic. He's one in a mathematical sense. And this is how I think some uh, the Islam understands God also. But it doesn't really describe the experience of God. And I'm going to explain it to you in terms of your experience as a Catholic, how you participate in God. It's not like relating to another person because God is a person analogous to human beings. Um, but his personhood is something far more mysterious and greater than our own. And the problem is, if you're listening to my podcast last week, our own personhood is pretty mysterious, whether it's a, a sociological and empirical or even a Greek philosophical way of, uh, of understanding the self. Mostly people can observe what they do, but if you have to describe that self that makes those decisions, how do you do it? It's this mystery beyond uh, human understanding. The atheist might say you're an illusion to yourself, you don't really exist, or you're a cloud of atoms, but uh, that doesn't really make sense to human beings. And so, Think about when you talk about, say, the Nicene Creed, how that reflects also on your own participation in God. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, and the forgiveness of sins. because. Putting the Holy Spirit with the church, communion, and the saints, this is a description of how we participate in the love between God the Father and God the Son. People have the hardest time of understanding the Spirit. It could be because the Spirit is the most concrete experience of God that we have in communion, in the church, uh, and in life. And so let's uh, conclude this episode of Oral Valley Catholic with a bit of a meditation that goes back to what I started with about atheism, agnosticism, and theism. So hold on for just a few more minutes. Do you remember Stephen Hawking's the great cosmologist, physicist's um, observation about the work that he did? He described in a brief history of time his best-selling uh, work from about now coming on to uh, almost 15 years ago. And there's been a lot done in science since, since then. But something, he says, has to breathe the life into all of these equations. He thinks it's gravity. He, he posited that gravity has always existed and that's where the Big Bang starts. And you know, if you are trying to limit all of your explanations 
into an empirical approach to reality, which is Stephen Hawking's. The only way you can understand things is if you can weigh them or test them, because the only way we can understand is through sense experience. The only thing that we really can sense is a material reality in the way that the scientific methodology approaches material reality. I don't think that's true. I think the long tradition of humanity, and there are other smart people besides Steve Hawk, Stephen Hawking's, is the idea that our minds can experience, they can experience love and insight, and they aren't irrational just because you can't weigh things. Plato himself said he believed in a god, not uh, the gods of Greek myth, but a god because uh, he believed in ideas, that ideas uh, didn't have length or weight or height, or they didn't have colors, but clearly they existed. And so for him and his understanding of God, like an idea, the reality of an idea that exists independent of the human mind, an idea that you could enter into, and he called it uh, at least one of the ways he described an attribute of that understanding of God, which is not a Christian understanding, uh, was um, uh, through what he thought were the forms, were the timeless things that gave, uh, gave reality its shape. August, all uh, Aristotle did was take his teacher Plato's understanding of these timeless ideas and say the timeless ideas are actually found in the material world. So, for instance, John Arnold is a timeless idea in the mind of God. And the form of John Arnold, we Christians would call the soul. Well, Aristotle didn't have all the answers, but Plato and Aristotle come together in, in Catholic theology pretty well. And it does lurk there behind the Nicene Creed because, remember, for Christians, for Catholics at least, faith and reason go together. Um, faith takes us beyond where reason unassisted can go. Reason helps us to try to make sense of our faith. This we call theology. You know, non-Christians typically complain that Christians aren't really monotheists, that they're, that they're tritheists. We believe in three gods. Uh, the Mormons have kind of carried that on and disconnected from orthodoxy as I understand their theology. Um, but going back to the Jewish and the Islamic criticism of Christian theology, especially Trinitarian theology, is that they're limited by trying to apply and make God fit into uh, human boxes, ways that they understand what mono, one, means and what God means. The purpose of New Testament revelation in Christ was to say that God is one because the strongest bond that you can have with anybody is love. Um, and it's just, that's the human experience throughout time, that God is that love. And when we live in that love between God the Father and God the Son, we become part, we participate in, I should say, um, the Trinitarian life. It explains the spiritual life much better than we relate to God, like we, I relate to my mother or my dad. Uh, the relationship to God is in this life-giving experience between father and son. So where do you see that in Christianity? You know where you see it most strongly? Is in our Eucharistic um, theology. Why the Eucharist is, if the, if the Trinity is the greatest mystery in Christianity, the reality of the 
Trinity is made concrete in the Eucharist. Think about what Mass is. The priest in the person of Christ does what Christ does. He takes bread, he takes wine, and he offers it to the Father. And it becomes the body of the Son offered on the cross, raised from the dead and ascended into heaven. When you go to Eucharistic adoration, you think of Eucharist as a noun. The Eucharist is that appearance of God under bread and wine. Uh, but God is activity. God is not static. God is constantly self-giving. When you see the Eucharistic species under the appearance of bread at uh, adoration, what you're actually experiencing is the self-offering of Christ and his dwelling presence amongst us. But the Eucharist is a verb. It is the act of thanksgiving of son to father and father giving son life. That's the Holy Spirit. And so when you say, I don't see the face of Jesus in the Eucharist, well, it, it isn't a painting. That's a materialistic way of looking at Christian experience. What you're seeing is the sign, the symbol of the reality of the Son's love for the Father and the Father's love for the Son. That's the Holy Spirit. It is a constant self-giving. And when you sit at adoration or you go to Mass, you are participating in that self-giving to the extent that you actually receive it and you become part of it in communion. It's why in the Nicene Creed, said so we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, that is the communion of the saints, the church and the communion of the saints, uh, the forgiveness of sins, overcoming the obstacles to us in union between God, and the resurrection of the body, eternal life given to us. And so when you are thinking about the Eucharist, don't reduce it to a noun. It is a verb, and you are participating in this actual life that is constantly at the heart of all reality because the description of the Trinity is the description of what breathes life into all the things that science understands. The love of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father uh, as we experience in in. Uh, in Eucharist and in Christ. You know, it's really interesting um, that uh, in a book called The Unfettered Mind, which was a biography of Stephen Hawking, says, you know, has a life that's so brilliant, but also just so full of suffering. Um, they actually interviewed his mom, who lived to be well over 100 years. Hawking's was supposed to have died from Lou Gehrig's degree, Lou Gehrig disease, ALS, much earlier than he did. But gosh, he went on for a long time and did some great work. But his mom, whose name is Isabel Hawking, uh, said this about her son. She said in this book, An Unfettered Mind, not all the things Stephen says probably are to be taken as gospel truth. He's a searcher. He's looking for things, and that sometimes he may talk nonsense. Well, don't we all? The point is, you know, that people think what they think. What I think the point is, is that uh, Stephen Hawking's mom loves him, and she always loves him, even when she doesn't like the stuff he says or does. And in that is the image of God. But somehow that was lost on Stephen Hawking's, and that is what breathed life really into his work. But you can look at the Eucharist and the love of God could be lost on you also. 
the Eucharist and that monstrance on the altar is not just a cloud of atoms. It's the life-giving, life-breathing presence of God. Because something does breathe life into your life, into the life of the world, and all of the cosmos. And that we call the most holy trinity. And so when an atheist or an agnostic or a Jew or a Muslim asks what God they don't believe in, ask them if this is the God they don't believe in, the God that breathes life into the world. All right. Another episode of Oral Valley Catholic. Give me a like if you like it. Bye.